Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Sherba, and today I have the extreme pleasure of sitting down with Zara Northover, Olympian, founder of Moving in Faith, and Athlete Foundry brand ambassador. Zara, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have you on. Before we get into all the questions, why don't you just kick us off by taking us through your personal and career journey leading up to today? All right. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So um, my name is Zara Northover, and I am a former Olympian. I went to the Olympics for Jamaica in 2008 uh, in Beijing, China. I also competed for them for quite some time before that um, and didn't retire. My career in, in athletics didn't end until about 20, 2012. But obviously before all of that, uh, you know, I do have a journey. We all do. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I'm blessed and honored to be able to, to kind of share that with with an audience. Right. You know, anybody that will listen in hopes that at least it impacts one person, um, if not many. But I um I am of Jamaican descent. Both my parents are Jamaican. I'm American. Um, I was I lived in Jamaica until I was probably about like three or four, and then my parents cool. migrated. My mom migrated to New York, so that's actually where I grew up. But I was born in Florida, so I am a U.S. citizen and a Jamaican citizen. I do hold dual dual citizenship. No, thanks. So, um, so yeah, like it was actually, you know, growing up, it, it was, it was really interesting. Um, you know, I always tell people kind of being raised by a single mother, even though my father did come into my life lately, but it did shape my, my world. So, like, you know, I grew up in a, as a black woman, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. And, um, but I had such a, a beautiful experience in Elmont, New York, where I, I grew up in Long Island. And that's, you know, because I was, kind of loved and, and appreciated and, and, you know, taken in by all. But, you know, as a child, you, we, we don't see color, right? We, we just right. kind of see each other. And that's kind of how that's what shaped my mindset as I continued to expand and get older and grow and go into different careers. And I wanted to share that because sometimes like we forget that along our journey, like the innocence of being a child and how we learned certain behaviors based off of situations and traumas that trigger us and, and, you know, change our lifestyle as we get older. So growing up in New York, I was like, you're, you're, elementary high school, you know, standout that, you know, made my way to Boston where I went to college at Northeastern University. And um, I was a three-time athlete, three-sport athlete in high school. I played volleyball, basketball, all four. I actually played softball and track and field, but track and field came later on in my career. And uh, I was really good at the shot put to the point where I got a full scholarship to compete at Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts. So there I studied communications, uh, political um, I studied communications with a, a concentration in public relations, and I also have my degree in political science. And then um, I was an All-American there. I've actually was inducted into the Hall of Fame at Northeastern University in 2014. And, um, you know, it was in my during that journey that I also made it to the Olympic Games in Beijing, just after I graduated in 2007. 
So, you know, the, the athletics kind of shaped the first half of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of the things that I did uh, was sports centered, even though what most people don't necessarily realize was I didn't really like the shot put. Right? You know, I didn't oh, like wow. the sport that I was doing, but I was really good at it. And I knew that it was going to allow me to do what my passion was. And my passion was to empower people to be in a position to um, one day have the capacity of working in the sports industry um, or an industry that would be connected to sports in some way. And I knew that by taking advantage of my God-given talent to compete, it would afford me an education that my single mother could not afford. Um, and that's what allowed me to have my full scholarship. It would allow me to travel the world. You know, I, I joke around and tell kids now when I do uh, speeches and engagements, like, you know, an 8.8 pounds iron ball allowed me to travel yeah. this world and get a full scholarship to get an education. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just excited to jump into that because I think, that that is really cool to hear as you articulate that the the thing that gave you those opportunities to travel the world to have these experiences get, you know achieve an education at a higher level uh wasn't even something that you were passionate about or loved like you you listed a number of sports before that that you played and then as you mentioned track and field kind of took over in your career a little bit later but that immediately i think just triggers a a quote that I've, you know, always loved, and it comes from Mike Tyson. I'm not sure if you've heard it, but the this idea of um, discipline and discipline is is doing what you hate to do, but doing it like you love it. Right? Yes, that is one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I want to maybe talk about that a little bit because, like, I feel like that is embodied in your story, where you see the opportunity that this skill set that you have and ability that you have can get you even though it's not necessarily what you love to do that. So, I mean, that, if anything, that is the, the definition of, of discipline and taking advantage of that opportunity. Maybe unpack that a little bit. Cause that, uh, that's, that just jumps out of the screen for me right now, as you say that. Thank you. Thank for acknowledging that because it's actually a motto. I mentor a lot. I've mentored over a hundred, you know, um, over a hundred people, um, you know, at oftentimes, anytime I, it's like a dozen in the roster. And one of the things I often, you know, let people know is sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do or don't like to do in order to prepare you for the things that you want to do and you love to do. Right. And, um, you know, we often, it's like a catch 22, right? Cause you know, they, people get on the, the Gen Z population cause they'll say like, Oh, right. They're, you know, they don't know how to work. And, you know, and I, I get the whole factor of um, they don't know how to work or, you know, like or do some of these things because it's all about like wanting to do the things that you want to do. Right. Um, and, you know, holding out, manifesting or waiting. But sometimes it's in the things that you don't want to do that it, it it trains and prepares this like mm, this weaker muscle, right? Or, right. or, um, it, or the mindset, like the mental muscle of like giving you a skill set that's going to actually elevate the things that you want and love to do. So, you know, just to, to, to go a little bit deeper on what I mean by that is I didn't love right? The sport of, of shot put. And, and I love track and field and I love to watch it. So half the time it's like my coaches would be yelling at me because it's like the shot put ring is over there. Why are you on the track? Right? Like, yeah. you know, and, 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 and this all relates to life. So I hope when you're listening to this, you're thinking about like the job that you might be in right now or the business and the skill set that you have to execute in order to make some money right now or whatever your situation is, it all applies. But 
you know, the reason why I did it was because I had to look at my, the whole picture. You know, right. I know my mom was working really hard. She was a CNA in, in New York making $15 an hour. New York is not cheap, <laughs> you know, yeah. so she wasn't making much money. But I, what I loved about knowing what she was doing was that she worked what she, she worked really hard in order to make sure that I had the opportunity to do the things that I wanted to do. Right. right. So I do think that that shaped my mindset to really say, like, if I don't love this, but I know I want to go to college, mom can't afford to go to college. I'm not going to I don't want to take out forty thousand dollars at the time worth of student loans. But here I have this skill set that I'm good at. Like, I'm right. strong. Um, I have the technical uh, ability to be able to throw this iron ball as far as I possibly can. And the story of how it manifested was because a young girl on my team needed a partner to be in this shot put relay. And most people are like, shot put relay. But yeah, so <laughs> she was throwing and she needed somebody else to do it and nobody else would do it. Right. And so I was like, sure, I'll do it because my, right, who I am as a person is like, I want to help someone. So sure. this is what I could do to help them. So long story short, in that competition, I threw further than any other girl there. Never wow. did it before. <laughs> so my coach was like, you don't have to practice, but this is what you're going to do. Right. Yeah. That's how it started. But I'm still a competitive person and I'm still somebody that is going to do things to the best of my ability. So even though, yes, I didn't love it. Um, now that I knew I was good at something and I had the skill, I was going to make sure that I, I practiced and did what I needed to do in order to continue to enhance. So I ended up, you know, at that point, reaching out to colleges because it was so late in the game. It was 11th grade. Most people wow. are doing track and field in eighth, ninth, 10th grade. Like, you know, like you're, you're solidifying in your sport as you prepare to, to go full scholarship or even on a professional level. So I, you know, had to reach out to, to, to coaches myself. So I, you know, I, I had some articles. I reached out to coaches. I said, hey, I know I just started track and field, but I've thrown, you know, 43 feet and I think I'm going to be a great athlete, right? Like, so of course, some of these coaches are probably like, who is this girl? Yeah. <laughs> like, and but they did see that progression, and I did take the time to actually promote and market myself. Right at 16, 17 years old. Yeah. So uh, one of the, my most memorable moments was later on in college, my freshman year. There was a coach that was at Harvard, but now, well, she's now she's at a. She's at a different school, but at the time she was at Clemson University, which was one of the schools that I had reached out to. And she came up and she apologized to me. She said, Zara, congratulations on your, your, you know, your EEOC position. Cause I had, I think I had won the shot put and she had said, I remember getting your email, your email, your, your package in the, the your, yeah. letter, your package in the mail saying that you're going to be great. And you had a couple clippings. And of course, you know, like you not to say that we laughed at it, right? Like, but it's, it was just like, you weren't good enough at the time. And, but you knew that you were going to be great. And she was just like, so I wanted to say sorry, because you should have been here, right? Like, you know, we should have came wow. after you and you've proved us wrong. And it's, you know, one to me, it was the, uh, one, I, I appreciate the transparency because that coach did not have to come to me and tell me the, all of that. But it also did something in me. It lit a fire and, and it also inspired me because 
I inspired her to to take that step to come to me to have that conversation. And I knew that there was something in me innate that was was in a position to empower and and uh, inspire others, even at a young age. And I appreciated that. And I took that with me. And I know that she continues to share that story and other coaches share that story now uh, about how a young girl just that just believed in herself took a chance, sent out all these like packages of snippets of articles and all these things in order to say, I'm going to be great and you should invest in me. Because what else do we do that with? Business ideas, pitches, um, proposals, all the different things, right? That translates into something you can do. But I learned that in sports at an early age. So I did go on to become an All-American in college. I did go on to become an Olympian. And it's all because of something that I knew that I had a skill set for. But then you get to a point, Peter, where passion and talent need to be in alignment. Yeah, Right. Like, so you have a goal. Yeah. You keep setting goals for yourself. You're like, all right, I want to I want to make it to NCAAs. I want to win this. I want to break a school record. I want to make it to the Olympics. And when, once you get to the point of making those things, then it's like, all right, checkbox. Right. And you're excited. But yeah. then after after making the Olympics, then what? Right. Like, like nice. you know, like what, what's what's higher than the Olympics? So if you don't love the sport, how do you keep going for 15, 20 years if it's not your passion? Right. And it didn't hit me until it was one of my teammates, Derek Anderson at the time that said to me, if I had your talent, I would be a, you know, I would be a champion. Like I would be a gold medalist. I would have already made the Olympics. And he said that before, just before me making the Olympics. And, and that resonated with me because right. It's, it's not just talent, it's talent and passion. He had a passion and a love for the sport of shot put. I didn't at the time. I didn't at all like, right. But I knew I was good at it. And because I had a passion for hitting goals, <laughs> right. Yeah. I, hit, I hit the goals that I set for myself. But when you stop, when you don't have any more goals for a situation, then that's when your passion would to te- technically allow you to either set new goals, different goals or keep going. But if you don't have it, it's, it becomes very difficult. It becomes hard to push through. And that's the season I was in. I was ready to kind of get into a career, do something new and, and, um, and that's what ended up happening. Kind of reminds me, I just watched the Barry Sanders documentary. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it was so funny when I saw it, 31 years old, he was just like, you know what? I'm done with football. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I like it, right. And he was amazing and nothing wrong with him. He didn't have like, right. Like, but he was just like, it's because the passion wasn't there anymore. And you're doing yourself and other people a disservice to, to continue to do something that you don't want to do. I think what I love about that is that there's folks in all sorts of different positions, whether it's professional or corporate roles that, you know, they may have come out of their college or university careers, had a certain skill set, got a certain job, were good enough at it, could make a living, but maybe didn't find their passion. Right. And and for many folks, that can only last so long if they can't find a way to activate their passion outside of their jobs in their lives. Right. And eventually, I think a lot of people start to look for opportunities where their work um, or where they spend most of their time intersects with with a passion. And so it's just, you know, most of the time you assume that somebody can become, you know, the top fraction of a percent at an activity in the world. Right. Whether yeah. it's or otherwise, that passion was at play. But but in this case, right, it wasn't. And that was that's what I find so incredible about your story and what you've articulated, because it's not, for example, um, like you were doing a sport that, you know, is necessarily all that fun to play. 
We're talking yeah. about explosive throwing of a heavy object over and over to maximize distance and have like peak performance in the moment that you have of competition, right? Like mm-hmm. there's so much science and, and, and planning behind that, especially at the level of an Olympian. Absolutely. There's very little margins for play in there versus like, let's say a team sport, like, you know, you you mentioned basketball. I played basketball, uh, AAU basketball and stuff growing up as well. Yeah. One of my passions. And like, there's fun. There's, there's joy there as you're doing that. And uh, I, it it sounds like that's not necessarily what you experienced there, but to, to be able to achieve that level of success in that sport, despite that is unbelievable. And I'm curious as you were, for example, at Northeastern, it's, you know, you're not taking bird courses when you're talking about political science communications. How was that being able to manage, you know, securing an education, knowing that this activity is what is 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 paying for this for you and giving you this opportunity, but also, you know, being this unrelenting competitor and not willing to not be good at this activity also, right? Like, and that resonates with me too, because I've got plenty of things I've stumbled into in my life where like, this is not going to materially change my life, but now all of a sudden I need to be good at this, right? Just yeah. from your com- competition standpoint. Um, so talk a little bit about navigating that. Cause I mean, being a collegiate athlete is no easy task to begin with, but again, to do it, knowing that it's for the purpose of opening up doors for yourself versus pursuing a passion is a totally different it's a totally different ball game. Absolutely. And one of the things that, um, and this story actually resonates with a lot of people because while you're in school as an athlete, like you do have to show up for your classes. You do have to be at practice on time, training on time. Right. Um, you know, if you have to get medical attention, you have to go to the weight, the, the training room on time. You got to be at the weight room on time, right? Like you, you have things to do. You have a schedule, but, um, but you're also given that schedule, which is why it's some, difficult sometimes for some athletes to transition right? To do anything else because it's right. like your, your whole life is on a schedule when you're an athlete where it's an, and a student and you know, you can't fail class because if you fail class, you're not going to be able to comp- compete. Right? right. And you know that if you, um, don't compete well, right. That, that does something mentally to you, right? Like that, it, you know, it takes away from a lot of other things. So you just kind of find a harmony. Like, you know, I don't think, I don't actually believe in balance. When people start talking about like work-life balance, this balance, yeah. all that stuff, like it's, it's, it's not that, you have to find a harmony and a flow. Some days it's going to be 60, 40, 70, 30, 50, 50, right? Like, but, but the reality is it's, it's, it's like, if you're, if you know that you've set out to do something, then it's like, I know that I've got to make this work because nothing is actually going to be good if one is really bad or, you know, and the other, right. like it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So, um, So one of the things that I would focus on, right, is just making sure that I always had my goal in mind, right? My personal goal, my personal desire in mind. And I knew, and that's why I said, like, I set those goals of, I want to be, uh, you know, an all American. I want to make it to conference. I want to throw 50 feet, right? So like when you have those goals in mind, then you have something to work towards. But what, you know, mishaps obviously happen along the way. You get hurt, (laughs) things happen. And, um, what ends up, what, one of the things that I remember a coach telling me when I got hurt along my journey was 
Zara, you have to think of the story of the donkey in a hole, right? Like, you know, like, and she was like, the donkey's in this hole and uh, a guy's thought, like, they're so far down, they can't lift him up. So they were like, well, we're just going to have to bury him alive. They throw the dirt down there and the donkey starts to shake it off and then pat his feet and then throw more dirt, shake it off, pat his feet. So before you know it, the, the donkey just walks out of the hole, right? Because he kept shaking off the dirt, patting his feet, and he got to the point of being able to walk out alive. And when she told me that story, I was like, that makes so much sense, right? Mm. Like, you know, all I could do is get to training on to my medical training on time and, and focus on actually doing what I need to do to heal my body, right? Taking the whatever supplements I need to take and, and doing the, the physical therapy I need to do in order to get myself better. But if I'm, if I'm sick or if I'm hurt and I'm thinking about like, being an Olympic champion, like I'm not going to be able to go from zero to a hundred, right? right? Like, so it's like, you have to trust the process. So that's one of the mottos and, and quotes that I say all the time now is like, you have to have longevity in the, like, you have to have patience in the process for longevity in the game. Ooh, so you have like to have that. patience in the process for longevity in the game. Um, and one, that's one of the things that early on I said to myself that, that continues to be a life motto because I was just like, if I enjoy this process and I have patience in the process, then I know that the end goal is going to come. And that is actually my brand. So my, my, my retail brands is moving in faith. And faith is being certain of the uncertain, right? Yeah. Like, so if you're, you're, you're certain you're going to do well because you know that you have the skill set. So you're uncertain of how you're going to get there. You just have to be certain of the uncertainty of knowing that if you continue to do the work, whatever the work is, or taking the steps and you're consistent, then things are going to fall into place. Absolutely. I, I absolutely love that. The idea of, Having patience in the process to achieve longevity in the game is so um, well articulated, and I think it's a very powerful, powerful quote. And and you know whether it's um, recovering from injury or whether it's learning new skills, you know, in a technical environment or in a corporate environment to be able to achieve you know that next level in your career or whatever the case is, right? Uh, and, and putting in that work and loving the process to be able to achieve the next thing, I think. It just makes so much sense. And I think what I'm really curious about, though, is as you started to understand that you needed to start to find uh, some intersection intersection with, you know, what you were dedicating your time to and and a passion and that that wasn't going to be in shot put. Right. And and your mind started to wander towards other things. Right. Potentially starting a career in, in other places or in, in other avenues. How did you ultimately make the decision and how did you navigate that choice, right? Like weighing, you know, what your identity had been, which is a high level athlete and then an Olympian with success at every step of the way. Um, and then moving into something else and leaving that, you know, that part of your identity behind. Obviously, it's still part of your brand and your story, but it's just not what you do all day anymore, right? So mm -hmm. how, how did you navigate that? Because when people, I think in any profession look to transition or pivot, it's really hard to leave behind what it is that's been part of their identity for so long. No, that's a great question. And, um, so 20s, let's, 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 uh, retract, let's, uh, rewind to 2012. 
So 2012 was, you know, the 2012 Olympic Games was in London and I had, I had moved to Michigan University. Uh, my coach took a job at the University of Michigan. Uh, so I moved from Arizona where I was training now to Michigan because you go where your coach is and, um, you know, you find things to do. Like I had to like substitute teach because not like I was Usain Bolt or Sonia Richards or, you know, Shelly Ann Fraser. I wasn't a full-time athlete that was like sponsored by Nike and Adidas. So at this point um, I had become, I had one creative my own brand called moving in faith. Like I was right. telling you because that was put on my heart early and, um, two, so this was, and I'm sharing this. So therefore you could think about it in that standpoint of look at all these things that are created, like that are happening along this journey. So a brand got developed moving in faith. I'm making this move to another state because I'm following my coach to, to continue to pursue this thing that I'm not necessarily passionate about, but I am good at it. And it has been a part of my life for like 10 years prior. Right. Like, so, nice. so I, I'm, I'm just in this cycle. So I make this move to Michigan. I start my master's program at Eastern Michigan university in sports management, because that is the start of now pursuing what the next passion, you know, that would be. Um, I'm at university of Michigan as a volunteer assistant coach. So, which allows me to obviously train there and be able to help and be an asset to the team as well. And just working out at things to make money, to survive, to at least pay the bills so I could train. So all these things are happening. It's one thing for all those things to happen when you're passionate about what you're trying to do. But here I am, like, I'm going for this next Olympics, not necessarily because that's really what I wanted to do, but it was what, like, was just like, I didn't have the next goal yet in mind. Right. So, and, and I knew I was skilled at this and this is what I was good at. So I'm here training, I'm going hard. Um, and my sister calls me and her house, um, you know, unfortunately she had like a fire. Everybody's okay. So instantly family first. So I'm thinking like, you know, like I got to go down there to help. I right. My niece and nephew are both under five. Like, so I, you know, I, I call up Princeton university, got, you know, thankfully they allowed me to train there because it's still the goal and the mission. Cause it's what I'm doing. But now I'm down in there. I'm spending time with family, helping out my sister train and come back. And I remember just being emotional because during this time, then my brother um, in Jamaica is shot and killed. And I'm like, man, like <laughs> all this stuff is, is, is like a lot. So I'm, I'm now I go to Jamaica. I'm still like training because Jamaica's you know, home base for me. So right. I work it out that I could train while I'm there um, with my family. We, we bury him and I come back and I remember the, the flyer happened. My sister now, you know, my brother and my coach tells me, Zara, this is the time when no one would be upset. Right. If you decided, if you decided to quit, Right. Like, like, right. Like, so like, but this is also the time where you can show up for yourself and push past it. Like you are narrating this story. Right. And I thought, wow, like I'm going to keep going. Right. Like, because this is part of the story. I think that, you know, for me as a spiritual person, I'm like, the devil's just trying to take me down. And I'm like, not today. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like, and that's, and that's the mindset that I had. So I kept going. But then now my coach has pancreatic cancer and my, my, my former coach that I was very close with has pancreatic cancer. So I fly to Boston and his, the la his last words to me while he was in hospice were, Zara, your impact is far beyond the circle. And I'm actually getting ready to go to hit, to speak wow. at his the Joe Donahue Invitational Meet um, on December 8th, so so next weekend. Um, but, you know, he says that to me while he's on my deathbed and I'm like, man... My impact is far beyond the circle. 
So all these things, I'm saying these things because we all get these signs along the way, right? right? Here I have a moving in faith brand here, you know, like fire, you know, family um, emergency takes place. Death in the family takes place. You're like, what's, what's happening? This whirlwind of negativity is breathing, but I'm still going. So father's gone. I mean, my brother's gone. My coach is gone. My sister now is in a good place though. And I'm still training. I'm still winning, you know, local meets and, and progressing towards making this team. And then April 28th, I'm at Central Michigan University getting ready to to compete, to try to get the Olympic standard. And I get a phone call that my father had cardiac arrest and did not make it. Oh, my goodness. So now my father, my Joe is gone. My brother's gone. My father has died. Um, And I still competed that day. And I remember breaking down right. I won the track meet. I um, broke down and the coach comes up to me and he was like, what's going on? And then I told him and he was like, you are the, one of the strongest women I know. And I'm like, but I don't know how to be weak. I just don't like, you know, like I just keep going. And, um, and I said that I'm going to make, the, you know, like I'm going to make this team, <laughs> I'm gonna make this team and I'm going to make it for my dad, my brother, my coach, like, you know, like, and um, so long story short, I keep pushing. I, I go to the Olympic trials. I win the Olympic trials in Jamaica and, but I still haven't hit the standard. I throw 16.99 meters and I needed to throw 17.2 in order to make it. And I think that's when like, it was a sucker punch that I didn't know how to like come back from. Right. And, um, in that very moment I said, like I was crying and I was done and that lasted probably about 48 hours. <laughs> and, then, and then I said like, you know, I had an assignment though for my master's program. Cause I was getting at near completion of my master's program also. And that program was to find an internship for my thesis. So I actually ended up writing for the team Jamaica that year, teamjamaica.com, a website that followed the Olympics. And I did all these phenomenal stories on like my fellow athletes. Right. And, and I remember a lot of them saying like, man, this is the first time that the media had covered me in a way that shared my story the way I wanted to be shared. That's cool. That was really cool. And you know, what was also really cool that brands that moving in faith that I had just put on t-shirts myself for me to wear. I had uh, gotten wristbands made and, you know, over time, that's what allowed me to make some money to like support myself while I competed. Like I sold shirts that said moving in faith before I knew it, people all over London, athletes and guests, were tagging me in pictures that said moving in faith. Wow. And I laid in my bed and I said, look at this. Here I am thinking that I wasn't going to make it to London, but I'm all over London. Right. I'm writing the articles of athletes that are competing. People and guests are, are, are wearing my, my moving in faith brand. Like I am just as much, I'm probably in London in a better capacity than I would have been even if I was an athlete that was present. And that's when I, that was, that was it for me. But that also was the inspiration I needed to venture on down to Detroit. Uh, Cause I was living in the Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti area at the time. And when I had a summer off, because as a track athlete, summers, you're competing in Europe, you're, you're all over the place trying to make some prize money and do all those things. But I was like, you know, all I heard about Detroit was eight mile and Eminem, that it wasn't necessarily the greatest of places. But here I'm like, this downtown is beautiful. Like you could see Canada across the riverfront. Like, like yeah. there was all this like, you know, 
beauty that I didn't even really knew existed in a city that was 45 minutes away from me. And I fell in love. And instantly, as I, I stood in Hart Plaza, looking back at the cityscape, I said, this is where I'm supposed to be. And at that point, my coach actually, after the Olympics, he told me he was, he got a job at UCLA in California and he was like, all right, it's time for us to go. And I said, I'm staying like, it's time for retirement. (laughs) It's it's time to, to move on. And I knew that at that moment, that's, that's, it was, it was just time because the passion was no longer there. And I knew, and I knew I had a newfound like passion and goal to like be a part of a city that's reviving and revitalizing itself and, and coming back because I felt that in the city of Detroit, I said, I want to make it here. I want to be a name here. And now I had a new profound goal. And that's, that started a journey to, to, to work at Quick and formerly Quicken Loans, it's now Rocket Mortgage, and the 77 applications it took me to get hired into that company. I mean, so again, there's so much that I want to touch on here just because, like, obviously, you had personal tragedy that happened. And even in across a number of different dimensions, that is obviously hard to hear as I listen to the story. But you, you fought through that. You just still competed. You persevered, right? Mm-hmm. And then you know, to go through all of that and then to to be mere, you know, centimeters away, right, from attaining the goal that you had been working for for that, you know, four years leading up to that point, right, to go to the Olympics again, I think to to then be able to turn that um, setback into this new mindset, right, and just recognize the signs, recognize uh, what you found in the city of Detroit and then to, to just refocus your energy and passion in the direction of, of, of making your name there. I love how you said that, like, I'm going to make my name in the city, right? It is just really cool to hear that because I think that again, and the, the whole reason why this podcast exists is just for people to be able to be inspired and, and relate, you know, successful journeys like yours to their own and, and, and learn from them. You know, I think folks that maybe are in a moment where they have these types of setbacks or tragedies or whatever the case is can see that like there might be something just around the corner, right? That they're going to find their passion in and their, you know, rejuvenated path forward in. I'd love to understand what was it about Quicken Loans that, you know, you said 77 applications, that in itself, like that is a level of perseverance, right? That is, is on the extreme. Um, what was it about that company that, that pushed you to, you know, pursue your a career there? So remember how we talked about the fact that, um, I wanted to be in sports, right? right. So or I wanted to be affiliated with companies that are affiliated with sports. Right. And we both know that there's a couple routes, right? That you could go, like you could be, I was getting calls to try to become a head coach or an assistant coach at different places, but how, like, how do you coach something you don't love? Right. Like, so <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I didn't go down that route. And I still, I coach, you know, I coach to, in order to be able to help some other athletes, cause I do love helping people. So that, that's why I could put things besides me because I know I have the skill set to still do the work, but, right. but, um, but I wasn't going to take that on as a full-time opportunity. So, um, I, when I heard about, you know, quick loans, I, you know, in, at Michigan, you kept it, you U of M, you would see fat heads and like all these different companies that are associated with the brand, with Dan Gilbert's brand. And, um, so what ended up happening was 
when I came down here and I would apply everywhere. I mean, I, when I tell you it was like a, a ver- it was like a watching, um, legally blonde. I had these like pink little pumps and uh, <laughs> a little cute black dress. And I came downtown with hand, like printed out, uh, printed out resumes. And I walked into like every company that was here, but I just knew something about Quicken Loans where if there was going to be a future Olympic games, or if there was going to be anything major sports related, that would be a company that would be heavily involved. Right. right. And that's what target made me target a mortgage company. <laughs> so, so, um, in doing so, um, you know, like I said, I applied for different roles first, like ones that was closer to my, my, uh, like communications and all these different things. And, and I just couldn't understand like why, like, you know, and I, I part of me had wondered, like, did I not get the, the job the first time? Cause I had gotten the call back and I went through it. I almost got an opportunity, but then, you know, I had just read an article, you know, when you graduate with your master's and you're looking into all these things that it's like, as a woman, you should negotiate and you should do this and all that stuff. So like, you know, and I said, well, you know, I am a woman. I'm also a competitive woman and I'm also a former Olympian, right? Like, so, you know, I'm going to make sure I utilize those skill sets and I want to start my career by not, um, I don't want to start my career by not negotiating and asking for the things that like, you know, that I potentially could get. So, um, yeah, when I negotiated, I didn't supposedly they, you know, there were two people for the job and they went with the other person. So that started then the thing. And then everybody I met kept saying, man, you should work at rocket, you know, at Quicken loans, at Quicken loans and all that stuff. So I was like, you know, that's, that's a company and they have all these different companies. So I'd apply for different ones. So in doing so, I would apply there, apply for other places. I ended up, you know, doing some property management work um, in the city of Detroit at the time. And um, I was just determined. And I think that because it was close to like being an an Olympic, like an athlete striving to get to the Olympics. So now it just became a challenge also. Right. It wasn't just about applying for the job to get the job. It was like, wait a second, why aren't they hiring me? <laughs> and like, like, let me, let me keep going. And anytime I could, I would. And then I would reach out to different people, have them, you know, refer me in. Like I'm getting connected within the city. Um, and long, long story short, you're going to laugh at this story. So um, I was an MC at a wedding because public speaking was something that I've, I've, I still do. And, and I, you know, was doing at the time. And um, so I was MCing a wedding in Jamaica. I ended up meeting my significant other and um you know, he lived in, in Virginia at the time. and wasn't really happy with what he was doing. So I said, you know, send me your resume. So I fixed up his resume. I actually applied for the job basically for him. And then he ended up getting the job. And, and it was funny because I was like, wait a second. I just, re- I prefer you to the same company I want to work at. You got called back on the first try and got this job. So then wow. I was like, how is this connected? Right. It's, it can't be connected by name. It's probably right. Like, cause some people can have the same name, Michael Smith, John Doe, whatever it may be. So long story short, I, um, I, you know, like I, cause I had a new address. I had a new phone number. I got a Detroit phone number. I did all the things and then had him, he referred me in. And I got, I got, I got a call back. (laughs) So it's like, it was tracking and it was tracking by those other things. Um, So it was like, I had this opportunity, but in the system, it was automatically declining, which, which taught me a lot about automated systems. Right. Right. And and how they like, just say like once you're, and that's why I always tell people, you don't get a job, not because you're not qualified. It's typically it's these systems that are set up that either triggered or or rigged in a way that it's sometimes this doesn't give you the benefit of the doubt. So, um, I showed up to that interview and I I remember getting ready. Like my coach would always have me get ready for track meets. He would say, I need you to look in the mirror and I tell yourself you're going to be great and you're going to do great things. 
And when I walked into that interview, I actually told the interviewer, and it was Tim Barry at the time. I said, Tim, I was like, I have been applying to this company over and over and over again, and I belong here. Like that's how the you started. I, I said, I woke up this morning. I looked in the mirror, like my late coach told me, and I said, I'm great and I'm going to do great things. And he looked at me and he said, Zara, I'm going to make you a star. And that's literally, he, I got hired on the spot. And I remember hearing from people telling me like, Tim doesn't, Tim doesn't normally hire, like he's a tough interviewer. He doesn't normally, like, it's usually a process. People don't get hired like that on the spot. And that started my career. When I got into the company, I, when I tell you, I worked really hard to pass that exam, the first, the mortgage exam, the first try, I became MVP on my team within the first like three months. Um, I, you know, graduated as fast as you can. I became a senior banker as fast as you could, uh, um, an executive banker, a president's club banker, you know, one of few black women to have held that title at that time, you know, out of hundreds. And um, I remember in my first year sending a letter, an email to Dan Gilbert, because I have a video where um, I said, hire me. Like I used to send YouTube videos out, like basically like hire me. And um, but I sent him a video, talked about my journey. And it was the responses from all senior leadership at that time saying, man, like this is the most powerful story of um, resiliency, right. And perseverance that I've ever heard. And they ended up doing a 10 minute documentary on me. So, um, which I, you know, I could share with you, but, yeah. um, so yeah. So like in doing all of that, I, I, I got to this company and, and I, I did, I made a name for myself. I did really well. I had hundreds of reviews from clients because like, I would tell them like, you know, like the, my Olympic dream is, is the same as the American dream of even owning a home. Uh, you know, and, and so my sales pitches, like all the things that I did were so genuine because the things of my past, right? Like my experience of doing that thing that I didn't like to do that brought me around the world. Now, when I'm talking to somebody from India, oh yeah, I competed in Commonwealth Games in, in 2010. Or oh, when I'm speaking to somebody from Asia, oh yeah, I went to the Beijing Olympics in 2008. Like I could relate to so many people because of all the different experiences, that thing that I didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> right. Afforded me the opportunity too, And sometimes I tell my mentees, especially like there is value in everything that we're doing. And we don't see the big picture in like looking at the big picture. You don't realize that these small steps or the steps that you're in are part of the puzzle, the puzzle that you need in order to get that final piece or, or get to the final destination. I, man, I'm, what an unbelievable story. And, and, the the perseverance and resiliency obviously like ooze through the microphone as you kind of tell it. And I think what I love about it is th- that as you, for example, mentioned in front of Tim and you stood in front of him and you, you told him that you belong at this company, right? Like you are being authentically you, right? And you are wearing your com- competitive nature, like your passion on your sleeve. And that, you know, paired with obviously your your credentials, right. Mm-hmm. Made you get hired on the spot. And, and I think I love that because I think a lot of the time when people are going through interview processes, they're, you know, often adapting to the interviewer, trying to, you know, demonstrate they could be the best possible fit for that particular context or organization or culture, right. Rather than making, uh, taking the route of simply authentically being themselves. Right. And then, whether or not that's going to be a fit is we'll 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 see right but if it is it'll be that much better of a fit as a result right mm-hmm. uh, which i think is very cool 
I am curious because obviously you've had a ton of success. As you said, you've worked incredibly hard. You, your competitive nature pushed you to achieve things first and more than many others have. But one thing that is really interesting about, let's say, track and field in general, but for something like uh, shot put, it, it's either you threw the ball further than the other athletes or you didn't, right? Mm-hmm. And there's very little gray area there. And I, I know that at any, in any sport or in anything, there is somewhere, but, but that is pretty binary in that yep. sense, you know, versus let's say, for example, let's go back to basketball. We all, I think anyone who's an athlete or knows the sport of basketball knows how many, how many politics there are involved in a sport yeah, like that. You have refs and, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, refs, but also like organizations yep. in terms of AAU and, 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 you know, and number of things, right. It, it merit doesn't alone get you the, what maybe you should get, right? But how did you then navigating, um, let's say, a corporate environment where sometimes merit doesn't always, you don't always get what you deserve. Sometimes you get what you can leverage, let's say, or, you know, like you just described, like through a relationship or whatever the case might be, it, which isn't just being better at the job than somebody else, right? There's more to it than that. Does, did that, does that frustrate you, you know, given your background in athletics and the, the heights that you achieved in something that was so uh, binary versus maybe the lack of that in, in corporate environments? Oh, absolutely. And I think um, it's what I'm actually experiencing now, right? So we're at the transition of my career where it's like, you know, a company that you've, you know, given your life to, right? Or given so much of your life to for a really long time. And then you come across because it's not just, and the reason why I said refs um, is because it's interesting, right? With team sports like basketball or football, right? If it's, there's, there's a third party party that makes a decision on if something is, it's not just about the basket, the ball going in the basket, right? Like that's actually what gives you the points. But the thing is, as you're making your way up and down the court, right? Somebody could foul you, right? Like someone could do something and then a call is made and now you get an opportunity to get an extra two points. So what if you weren't really fouled or what if the the, the goal, like, right, it, it should have been a foul, but it wasn't a foul, right? Like all the things are up to also another person. Right. And that's what, that's the resemblance of corporate. Right. The resemblance of even business, starting your own business. Right. Like like you have other people that are a part of your journey that can dictate and affect your journey in a a negative and a positive way, no matter how good you are. Right. And and um, and that's the journey I wasn't. That was a that was a hard lesson. <laughs> a yeah. hard lesson being an athlete for so long. Um, you know, like going into to corporate in the beginning, it was great because it was all about the, you know, making the name for yourself and moving up. And, and, you know, in the beginning of like, especially sales roles and, and like entry level roles, it's like, you just do the work, right? Like you don't question right. anything. You kind of just do the work, you grind it out and you keep moving. But as you get further into your career, you're like, wait a second. Well, like, how come I'm not being promoted? Right. Like, right. wait a second. Like, all right. Like I've hit those, those goals that are, are production oriented and I've done all that I could do. And those things like, you know, you know, kind of validate and you get those, but then now you're talking about like transitioning to be a VP or a director. And it's like, wh- why am I not being looked at? And, and that's for me when I actually had my, my first bouts of, of understanding like systematic racism and, and, and dealing with discrimination and dealing, you know, that d- the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, right. and, um, and this was a whole new world for me and a whole new world at what, like 30, 31 years old, 32 years old. Right. Because I, you know, like when you were an athlete, I was an athlete up until, 
you know, like until I was like 30, like 28, 29 years old. Yeah. So like I'm starting my career also later <laughs> than, than, than many. Um, but I, you know, so therefore it's like you, you have the different pressures of like feeling like you have to accomplish a lot in a short period of time. So you a- approach and you attack everything like an athlete. Um, but then when you, you get hit with this, like, wait a second. So then now you got to look for the, what are the internal coaches? All right. Now I got to, now I got to strap myself up and find myself some mentors. Right. right? Like now it's a big, and this is why I tell my, 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 my mentees now, like I was a court, I was an Olympic athlete that became a corporate athlete and I had I to find that. myself a coach. You know, and and that's how I started to navigate and understand. And then I had to become the coach. Right. I I became the mentor because sometimes the greatest way to learn something is to teach something. Right. And and when you're helping others, you you truly help yourself as you learn even from them, their skills, their tactics, different ways of seeing things, viewing things and the perspectives. And, um, you know, like I'm so I'm no longer with, you know, the company. um, But, you know, like I came I did later in my career, I came across individuals that, um, you know, they targeted me, right? Like, you know, like, and it's like, you know, like there's been a lot of themes where they say like from office pet to office threat, right? Like, you know, people get threatened or intimidated by your ability to be resilient, by your ability to be creative, to be innovative. And um, oftentimes that's not something that we talk about in college. It's not something that's taught. Like you're taught about what discrimination is. You're taught about what um, sexism and, and, and racism and all and harassment and all those things are, but nobody teaches you like what exactly are the steps to take to protect yourself, to advocate for yourself or to position yourself so you don't necessarily end up in those roles. Um, and those are lessons that, you know, I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning on the fly and dealing with and rising above, right? But you also learn that you've gained skill sets while you're at a certain place. You've also made other relationships that, you know, like it comes down to the, even in those situations, it's not necessarily a whole company, right? It's people. It's it's people that were, were within an organization, right? That, that um or it might be blocking or giving you a bad call or, or holding up the process. But the truth is you have the ability to stand up for yourself, to advocate for yourself, to reposition yourself, to become a free agent, <laughs> right? Like you have the ability to, to make those, those decisions to make sure that you are looking out for you because at the end of the day, you are the coach of you, you know, you make those decisions and those final calls. So it's like, how are you going to navigate and address that? Absolutely. And I think, you know, what you said there, this idea of transitioning from being an an Olympic athlete to a corporate athlete, and then the need to find yourself a coach and, and, and finding mentors, Uh, you know, I, 120 some odd episodes of this podcast, one thing, one of the many things that's bubbled up across almost every single conversation is that people who have found success in their careers have had mentors and champions along the way that accelerated or helped push their careers forwards in in very material ways. And those relationships very rarely happen by accident and often took work and intent. And I think the way that you articulated it demonstrates that intent of like, I need to find myself a coach, right? And and that I find a super exciting mentality that I think people can kind of channel and, and and uh, and activate in their own careers because I, I think it is such a critical differentiator in somebody's career progression and growth um, as they as they um, you know develop in the, in their careers. So it's exciting to hear you articulate that and, and and the way that that kind of developed for yourself. So obviously now I 
and how we got connected is is through uh, a mutual connection through the founder of Athlete Foundry. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited to understand like the work that you're doing there now, as well as kind of your involvement across a lot of different organizations that you give back to um, today, which, you know, you were sharing with me uh, actually while we were having a technical issue during this recording about an event that you were at just overnight, which would be really cool to hear about. But it'd be great to hear about your work with the Athlete Foundry. Yeah. So um, one of the things I I said in the beginning, right, was that at the end, of I've always known that I was a a person that empowers people, that loves people and wants to help others. And, um, you know, I think that exudes on everything that I have social media wise, platform wise. So one day, uh, Casey, right, the founder of Athlete Foundry had reached out to me and was just like, you know, I see that you're a former Olympian. You've, you know, had success in corporate. Would love to to um, for you to be a part of, you know, what we're trying to do here. And he expressed to me that, you know, the nature of Athlete Foundry of um, trying to create a platform to to even the playing field, right? To give, right. To give student athletes an opportunity to be able to market and promote themselves, create themselves the... Um, you know, a digital storyline and, and just make things easier to be able to send things out. And, you know, it's kind of funny because if you really think about what I said before that, Peter, though, was as an athlete, I put together this this big package of papers and and newspaper clippings right. and like I'm going to be great to send it out. So this was like a full circle moment. Right. Like, you know, like here's this guy reaching out to me based off of seeing my LinkedIn. And I was like, I don't have to go and create an organization like because sometimes we don't have to just we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes it actually makes more sense where it's like, oh, I have this idea as well. But now somebody else is doing it. So let me just help them like so so I can go do something else. So um, so like when he asked me, it was it was definitely a no brainer. Like, I mean, it was a no brainer. I said, absolutely. I want to be a part of this. Um, you know, sending out those positive messages like, you know, a couple times a month and and being able to talk to student athletes and and, and join in the, the way that I was able to do that with him, you know, has been phenomenal. I'm excited to see, you know, that that brand continue to grow um, because that's what we're doing. We're being able to give back and educate athletes and empower them um, not only on having that plan A of being able to make it all the way, but also to, to, to securing the bag and having the plan B, right? Like, right. You know, like, and, and making sure that they're prepared and understand, because I think that's kind of, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, one of the sayings is right. Pe- my people have not, beca- not because they don't want, but because my people don't have the knowledge. So, and when you don't have the knowledge, they will perish. And, and, and like, I think that's why it's so big on me to educate people and to speak about my story and its authenticity. It's, it's important to me to speak about my story in its authenticity, because when we're not transparent about what happens, then the same mistakes continue to happen because people Absolutely. just don't know. Absolutely. I think that's a really powerful sentiment. Um, and it, 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 especially when you've, you're in pursuit of the, that kind of altruistic vision of, of trying to help others, you know, not make the same mistakes or have to go through the same challenges that you did, right, by sharing your story the, the only way to do that is to share it transparently and, and honestly. Right. And I think that that, um, is a, is a really powerful sentiment. And I, and I'd love to hear the, the way that you're working to and, and partnering to, to impact athletes in, in the way that you are. Um, I I'd love to just, you know, as a final question, just given how goal driven you have been across, you know, different eras of your career and in different versions of yourself as an athlete, as you said, Olympic athlete versus corporate athlete and beyond. 
what what is that goal that Zara is working towards to today, right? That you've kind of channeled your energy towards and that you're applying that crazy competitive spirit towards today. Thank you for that. Thank you for giving me the space, right? You know, to kind of continue to share. But right now, it's funny. I just had a, a conversation with a friend and I said, this is a this is a different time of my life because um, you know, in this space where I'm advocating for myself on one hand and, you know, n- looking for the next thing to do, um, you know, I have my brand still moving in faith. And I was like, you know, what's so interesting. This brand has been the, the one thing that has consistently been in my life. Right. But it's the one thing that I haven't actually I personally haven't consistently poured into in terms of investing and evolving it. It's always just been kind of that safety blanket that provided for me when I was an athlete, right? And helped me to get some dollars to pay some bills or, or my rent or, you know, to buy a plane ticket to get on a plane. It was the safety blanket of, of things that I wore because I didn't have the time necessarily when I was working to, 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 to build the brand and sell those things and do all that other stuff because retail is, is a different beast. Right. right. And, um, but I still wore my stuff proudly. I still had sales here and there because people, you know, just knew about it already. Um, so it was, but it was more of a reminder. It wasn't about money. It was like, this is the brand that's going to remind me. So it, it's in this conversation, but also in many conversations, I'm like, is my journey sending me back now to finally focus on the thing <laughs> that has been a part of my life for, for over 20 years. That is a, that is something that could be a business and marketable on a different level. I mean, it's trademarked yeah. internationally, it's trademarked in Canada, Europe, here in the States, but I've actually never really just done anything with it because it wasn't necessarily, it was just a reminder for me. So right. I'm excited to pursue um, and I'm getting ready to head to California to go see some manufacturers, but, and start having some conversations, but I'm actually excited to pursue building the moving in faith brand, a global lifestyle brand um, to create, you know, reminders for everyone to continue to pursue their dreams, their passions, um, and just to have faith, right? Being certain of the uncertain that things are going to work out. I love that. And it, again, it's just, you know, another era in in your story and journey that is so different from the others, but where the, the traits and the skills and the, you know, um, tactics that you've learned along the way are just going to likely accelerate you towards success once more in, in this kind of new space. So um, very exciting to hear. And, you know, just looking back on the conversation, it's been an incredibly rich one with enormous amounts of learning uh, for me and I'm sure every person who who's going to listen to the episode. So really appreciate your time, your openness and willingness to share your journey. This has been fantastic. And I look forward to seeing the Moving in Faith brand grow and evolve in the coming years. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me and thank you all for listening. Um, yeah, and movinginfaith.com. Like, so definitely check us out and watch us grow. And um, I'm excited to see where we go. 